This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. At the recent Toronto Scotiabank Marathon, an 85-year-old man smashed a world record. Not for the first time. Ed Whitlock joins me in just a moment. And everything in our lives has been designed by someone. So why not apply that thinking to our own lives? That premise was the basis for the most popular course at Stanford University. Now it's a book, and the authors will join me in studio. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It appears exercise not only keeps your body active, but your mind as well. New research on elderly patients with vascular cognitive impairment looked at the impact of aerobic activity on their ability to perform mental tasks and ability to plan and coordinate tasks of daily living. The patients who underwent aerobic therapy three times a week for six months had an improvement in their cognitive functions when compared to patients who did not. For people with diabetes, physical activity is a form of medicine. Researchers in New Zealand say it's especially important that diabetics do moderate activities for at least 150 minutes a week, the standard recommendation for all adults. In a small study, the researchers compared the post-meal blood sugar levels of 41 diabetics under different exercise regimens. Walking after meals caused a 12% reduction in post-meal blood sugar levels, but walking after dinner had a particularly dramatic effect, bringing blood sugar down by 22%. A 62-year-old Spanish woman has given birth to a healthy girl and encourages women in their later years to do the same. Lena Alvarez says her baby Lena was born in perfect health by C-section. Little Lena weighed in at just over 5 pounds. Alvarez, a doctor herself, says women who are well enough to have a baby in their later years should not be afraid to do so. Canada's Shania Twain has been honored with the CMT Artist of a Lifetime Award as country music's most successful female singer. The 51-year-old Timmins native was joined by other female singers at a recent Artists of the Year awards show in Nashville, Tennessee. Twain has won five Grammy Awards and 12 Junos over her career. The ruby slippers that whisked Dorothy back to Kansas in three clicks are looking a little worn, prompting the Smithsonian to launch a $300,000 online campaign to conserve them. Museum staff have started a Kickstarter fundraising drive to repair the iconic slippers from 1939's The Wizard of Oz and create a new state-of-the-art display case for them at the National Museum of American History. 
The sequined size 5 shoes were crafted almost 80 years ago by the MGM Studios prop department and have grown fragile over time. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's not every day that someone trains for or finishes a marathon. More than 40 kilometers running can put a physical strain on anyone at any age. But an 85-year-old man from Milton just finished the Toronto Scotiabank Marathon in a world record time for his age group. In fact, Ed Whitlock shattered the old record by nearly 40 minutes. He joins me now. Ed Whitlock, congratulations. Okay. So you set a new record in the 85 to 89 age group at the Scotiabank Marathon? That's correct, yes. What's your reaction to that? Uh, well, one of relief was the, one, the main feeling when I got across the finish line because I had uh, serious doubts halfway through the race about how it was going to turn out. I realized I, uh, you know, I was not in good shape by that time, and I thought it was going to be a real struggle to get to the finish, which it was, but uh, I didn't have to slow down quite as much as I was expecting. So, as I say, it was the main feeling when I got across the finish line was one of relief, but, um, you know, I was happy too. Did you realize that you had smashed a record? Uh, yes, I knew I was going to smash the record um, quite a way out, but uh, I was not confident that I was going to get under four hours, which was my major target. And uh, at halfway, I kind of lost confidence that I was going to be able to do that. But then I, about five kilometers from the finish, I realized that that was still a possibility, and so that uh, gave me a bit of encouragement. What happened? Did you get a second win? Did you start to feel better, or did you just tough it out? Mm, uh, basically, I toughed it out. I, I did... Uh, I got some... I don't really believe in second wins, but I, I did get some sort of semblance of that uh, when I realized that I was at least going to be able to finish okay. Can you uh, give us an idea what was the previous record in your age group? The previous record was four hours, 34 minutes, and 55 seconds. So I was under that by almost 40 minutes. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and and well, what... the thing is, well, there are not many idiots left who, who are <laughs> running at 85, so the, the competitive ranks have gotten uh, kind of thin. Do you know how many people were registered in your age group? Well, I don't believe there's anybody else who was over 85. I don't believe so. The, I think uh, the race had a category over 75, and there, there were a few people in that. I was in that category and, uh, and won that category. I think the time you said would be pretty good for somebody a lot younger. I'm sure I was in the top half of the race. At least, <laughs> but uh, fewer fewer of those people around me um, waste as much time on this project of running as I do. I don't believe there's anybody else around me who was who'd run for three and a half hours every day. Wow! Uh, but you love it. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't. I don't love the uh, the training. I mean, I. 
if I could somehow magically race well without having the drudgery of training, I'd be quite happy with that if I didn't have to do all this. I know that in order to to run as well as I have done, that um, I have to put in that time. You've been uh, rewriting age group records for a long time, have you not? For Canadian records, I guess I did set one world record in my 40s, and then I didn't make any more then until my uh, late 60s, I guess. I've had a... a Basically a 20-year run, something like that, of, uh, of uh, breaking world records. I'm sure people ask you this all the time. What's your secret? I think really the, uh, it's uh, my parents, I think, good genes. And I'm not, uh, they weren't athletes at all, but uh, whatever they, they gave me, I think, that, uh, um, I think that's the major thing now. As I say, I think I've made myself into a marathon runner, and I suppose from that point of view, you know, things like perseverance and patience and that sort of thing. But there again, that probably comes down to one's uh, genes again to some extent. And uh, the other thing, of course, that they've given me is um, long levity. I mean, I've I've had a, a quite a long life already, and I'm uh, not expecting to die tomorrow. You've been an elite runner for decades, but do you have any advice for people who might be wanting to start running later in life? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, people frequently ask me that question, and I, my general response is I don't give advice. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm even giving good advice to myself, let alone to us people. <laughs> Okay, well, you sound like you're having a good time. Ed Whitlock, thank you so much. Okay, right. Bye, Libby. Bye-bye. That was Ed Whitlock, who ran the Scotiabank Marathon in under four hours, smashing the old world record for his age group. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up after the break, we'll talk to two Stanford University professors who are applying the ideas of design to our own lives. That story when we return. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. No matter what you see around you, vehicles, computers, or even a chair, they all have one thing in common. They've all been designed by someone. So why are so many people happy to just let life happen to them? Dave Evans and Bill Burnett, professors at Stanford University, have now written a book called Designing Your Life, using design philosophy to take the reins of our own lives. And they tell me that idea can apply to Zoomers just as much as to college students. You say these ideas, designing your life, is good for somebody at any age. So let's talk about Zoomers. People who either are at a position in their life where they can start to pursue what they love or through no choice of their own, they've got to find something else to do. So how should someone older approach it? Exactly the way someone younger or older than them should approach it. I mean, we've got people coming to our workshops from 25 to 85. And the question is the same. You know, what do I do with the rest of my one wild and precious life? 
And since I can't necessarily know exactly what to do, I haven't got the future figured out yet, then what I need to do is I need to actually experiment my way into that future rather than necessarily analyze my way. I can't, I can't come up with the perfect strategy and have it work the first time. So we're going to find a way to take our curiosity, lean forward into that a little bit, do some experimentation, and start building our way forward in steps. That's the basic approach we take. It's particularly effective for people you know, beyond 45, either thinking about the next thing in their career or maybe a whole shift in their lifestyle, because that's something you really don't want to experiment with before if you make a big change, you want to make small steps before you make the big commit. So how do you do that? Well, we use what we call design thinking, and that's something we've been working on at Stanford for about the last 50 years. And it's a human-centered design approach. So you start with empathy. And the empathy piece is just to understand a little bit about yourself. In the book, we talk about writing a life view and a work view. Um, I think if you're a Zoomer and you're ready to start working on something more meaningful, you still have work in, in your plan of retirement, you would do those two things, and that would give you sort of the first step, sort of a sense of a compass or a direction to go. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? Well, you start with your interests. Biased action. Designers are not so much I, um, people who want to come from the fantasy of an idea. They want to come from the energy of a possibility, which means if I'm going to do something energized, I'm going to take action. I'm going to do something about it. So I'm going to look around and say, well, what am I curious about? What do I have questions about? Which, which version of my life would I like to know more about? And that says, good, now I'm going to go take a step forward by having prototypes of my future life by two forms, a conversation, we call it a life design interview, or a small experience, sort of a test drive, a little small experience of what's it actually like to do this thing I'm thinking about doing. You talk about building, uh, that a designer builds. How do you do that? You do that, again, by taking these actual steps rather than I'm going to sit down and, and, and come up with the perfect plan. I'm going to strategize this thing. I'm going to do all the Google research and come up with the whole idea. Then I'm just going to execute, and it's going to go great. You know, that, that would, that's not building your way forward. That's, that's planning your way forward. So one of the examples we talk about um, is a woman named Elise, who is a human resources executive, and, but she had this side passion for Tuscan lifestyle and Italian food. And decides to make <laughs> Who doesn't? Her, well, she decides to go for it. She does, you know, she's going to follow her passion. She's going to go for it. She's going to live the dream. She's going to respond positively to all these cultural mandates that she keeps hearing, you know, you should go for it. And she does. Actually, successfully. So she actually acquires a deli. She completely remodels it. She installs, you know, a little cafe inside this thing. And surprisingly enough, as a first-time restaurateur, opens to great success. That never happens. Yeah. Except she hated it. Because it turns out running a retail establishment is entirely different than imagining it or planning it or getting it ready. And now I'm managing inventory lists and hiring high school kids. And I'm cooking the same darn recipes day after day after day. And that's not what I had in mind. Well, she didn't build her way forward. She leapt her way forward, even successfully. So people say, well, I don't want to leap because I might fail. Well, frankly, it could be just as bad as if you succeed. Now, if she'd catered on the side a little bit, interviewed three or four different people who own establishments like that, both happy ones and unhappy ones, and gotten more of that, she could have built her way forward in a way that would have been incremental, much more valid, much smarter, much safer, much less risky, much less expensive, and ultimately more successful. What about older people, often who uh, no longer work for big companies, because uh, big companies tend to get rid of older people? Well, I mean, I think I think that's a that's an interesting challenge, right? If that happens to you, then that's that's you know one of the things you have to accept. Um, I think it's unfair, but I don't know that being unfair one way or another is going to change things. You know, what we're seeing is two big changes o overall. 
this thing David just mentioned where people are expecting to get more meaning out of their work. They don't want to just punch the clock and take a paycheck home. They want, they want some meaning. And, you know, the job market has changed. Companies have changed. You know, my, my father worked 42 years at the same company. That, that's just not happening anymore. So jobs are getting shorter and the cycles are getting faster. So I think having something like a life design process that you, that you feel pretty comfortable with is probably important because if, if um, you, you do age out or, or some, something happens and there's a downsizing, you're going to need a technique to kind of get yourself back in the game. Okay. The only job you can count on having for the rest of your life is having to find another job. <laughs> okay. So just to wrap things up, uh, some practical advice mm-hmm. on getting started. Curate your curiosity. The best place to begin is where you've got some energy to get some motion going. So ask yourself the question, what would I like to learn more about? What do I want? What problem in the world is bugging me? What activity do I do is really life-giving to me? What part of the world is more interesting to me? Because that's going to get you moving, and motion is the thing you're after. And then uh, don't plan because plan is not going not, not to survive reality anyway. Don't plan. Prototype. Just try things. Get out in the world. Use that piece of curiosity. Meet some people and try some really simple, short prototypes of the experiences that you might like to have because that's where you're going to learn the most. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. That was Dave Evans and Bill Burnett on their new book, Designing Your Life. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. In a moment, legendary Zoomer Chuck Berry... 90 years old is coming out with a new album. That story, when we return. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. After a 39-year absence, Diane Lane is back on Broadway, starring in a revival of Anton Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. Lane plays a woman who returns to her family's estate to stop its foreclosure. The production is at the American Airlines Theater. In Chicago, Yoko Ono's first permanent American public installation is open. Sky Landing features 12 steel lotus petals that emerge from the ground in a place where the sky and earth meet. It's in Jackson Park, which will eventually be home to Barack Obama's presidential library. In London, a new portrait exhibition traces the origins and the problems associated with being mixed race in Ireland. The goal of the exhibit is to challenge preconceptions of what it means to be Irish. And in the Netherlands city of Zwolle, the Museum of Fundati is hosting Behold the Man, with 100 works by artists of the past century who use the portrait genre to evoke the richness and complexity of the modern world. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and legendary Zoomer Chuck Berry is back in the news again. This time, he's announced a new studio album. Might I remind you, Berry is 90 years old, proving that true Zoomers need never slow down. The new album, entitled Chuck, will be available in early 2017, and rumor has it he's writing some new music for it as well. Of course, Barry was a pioneer in the early days of rock and roll, reinventing the sound of rhythm and blues with hard-driving guitar riffs. 
His showmanship and extended guitar solos became a staple in rock and roll music. He inspired generations of guitarists, including Keith Richards, Eric Clapton, and John Lennon, who once suggested that if you tried to give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. Right now, we'll travel back to the peak of his career and hear his famous song that's almost autobiographical about a small-town guitar-playing boy with dreams of seeing his name in lights. Here is Johnny B. Good. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, way back up in the woods among the evergreens. That was Chuck Berry with Johnny B. Good. He's releasing a new album, his first since 1979, in the new year. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Nimer. Produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.